Okay. All right. So we're going to continue then with um, our series in the Gospel of John. And we really sort of come to a critical stage uh, this morning in John chapter 12. Um, you remember last week we just looked at how Jesus came into Jerusalem and uh, everybody came out to greet him. The, th the crowds thronged him. Uh, many of the local Jews had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. Others had come to see Lazarus who had been raised from the dead and the word was getting around. All this excitement was building. And at that time, of course, it was the Passover feast. So there were a lot of pilgrims that had come to Jerusalem. What was usually a population of about 50,000 people just um, blew out to almost a million uh, at those times. And so these had been told about the, the resurrection of Lazarus. So there's this excitement that Jesus was the Messiah. So when he entered into Jerusalem, uh, he was welcomed as the Messiah. You remember they cut down the branch, uh, tree, uh, branches and uh, um, uh, lay them before him and shouted, Hosanna, which means save now. They believed that he was the Messiah who was going to deliver them from the Romans. Uh, he was a political figure, they believed who would set him free. So they were, they were ecstatic and uh, uh, there was all this incredible excitement. Now we're going to continue from there uh, as we pick up where we left off last week. Verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks amongst those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a ground of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So there's a lot there. We'll just get into that. First of all, these Greeks uh, that were there at Jerusalem, they were God-fearing Gentiles who would attend the Jewish feast. There were a lot of uh, Greeks that... Um, turned away from paganism and polytheism and pantheism and all those things and they believed in monotheism, the one true creator God as worshipped by the Jews. They didn't convert fully into, into Judaism but they were, they were uh, on the way to doing that. The, the Ethiopian eunuch would have been one of those. And so they, they believed in the scriptures and they, they were hungry to know more and uh, they were allowed to come so far in the temple into what was called the outer court or the court of the Gentiles. Now that's interesting because if you read all the Gospels, the four Gospels, you'll see that there were two times, two occasions when Jesus cleansed the temple and overthrew the money changers. you remember that? Now those money changers were set up in the outer court, in the court of the Gentiles. And that's where they were doing their business and Jesus came and he overthrew the tables and, and cleared them out of that area. And this is what he said. He said, it is written that my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. What? For all nations. 
but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Now, it's very likely that these Greeks were there when Jesus did that and saw that. And, and so they, 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 were, you know, they were drawn to Jesus and wanted to know more. What, what is God's plan for the nations? He, he seems to be the God of the Jews and we, we have to come up to Jerusalem. But what is his plan for the rest of the world? And that's when um, Philip and Andrew brought their request to Jesus and he saw it as evidence that his mission had now reached its climax and it's now to, his time to die for the world, uh, including the Gentiles. He saw that, that, that you know, he'd only come for the lost sheep of Israel. We remember that. And his ministry was always to the, 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 the Jews. He was called the minister of the, the circumcision to the Jews. And, uh, and yet that time now had reached its climax and, and now it was time for the, the gospel to be taken to the whole world. And you remember he said in John chapter 10, verse 16, he said, other sheep I've got that are not of this fold, them I must also bring. That time has come, the hour has now come. Now it's interesting that Satan and the enemies of Jesus thought that it was their hour when Jesus was put on the cross. Jesus, when he was on trial, he said, when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. They must have thought, this is our hour. We've got Jesus totally in our control. We're going to put him to death. This is our hour and, and uh, you know, it, it's our time. And Jesus said that. But of course, it was really his hour. And God even actually used what they were doing to bring salvation to the world by by crucifying Jesus. Now I say that because um, if, if you read on here in, in what Paul said to the Corinthians, he says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Isn't that amazing? You know, Jesus, uh, sorry, Satan thought that he had triumphed over, over Jesus by putting him on the cross, but that actually was the, he, the crushing of his head, his defeat and, 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 and the victory for the kingdom of God. And, uh, you know, this is so important because we're living in, in, in incredible times, as we often say, when it seems like the enemy is just running rampant and changing this world into even more a wicked place than it's ever been. And there's this sinister thing going on in the background and, and things are happening in, in governments and laws and so on. And, and Christians are getting more and more and more persecuted. And, and it seems like it's, you know, the world can say, this is our hour, our time. And, and we can become intimidated. In fact, you know, when you, when you go online and you read what some Christians write, about all this thing that's happening behind the scenes, almost like we've got to try and stop it. But God has predicted it. It's going to happen. It's not, it, this is our time. It's the time, the prelude before the second coming of Jesus. These things must come to pass. They must reach their climax before Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom and to reign over the earth. So, so you know, whilst the, the world might say, this is our hour now, you, you, you can't do this, Christians, you can't do that, and, you, you know, we're in control. Friends, it's really God that's in control. Amen. And it's all leading up to this incredible climax when Jesus is going to come back uh, to the earth. It could even be in our time. Amen. Well... Your time, not my time. 
Well, in fact, looking at no, probably anyway. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Jesus said that the Son of Man will be glorified in his death. We've looked at this, haven't we? We've looked at this several times. That that God's greatest glory is when he sent Jesus into the world. You know, the Bible says uh, right at the beginning of John when we started this, we beheld his glory when Jesus came into the world. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Incredible mystery that, you know, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. Somehow these two natures, human nature, like our nature, and the nature of God living in one person. I don't understand it. We don't understand it. But we just worship him. And, and as he grew up, he lived a sinless life. You could say, you know, uh, no, sin has no power over me. The Bible says he knew no sin, he did no sin, and in him there was no sin. This is Christ showing the glory of God on earth. And then, of course, he went to the cross. And as we, we heard around communion, all our sin, all our sin, the sin of the whole world, the sin of the whole human race, not one sin was accepted. It was all laid upon him. And he received the judgment for it. It's finished, friends. It is finished. Hallelujah. And he gave us his righteousness. That's who we are now. The righteousness of God. This is the glory of God. The Son of Man is glorified in what he has done in our redemption. He arose and he went to heaven and he's been seated on the right hand of the Father ever since. And he poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church and the church has been growing against every kind of obstacle and opposition. Uh, Jesus said he would see his seed and be satisfied. Amazing, this gospel has gone to all the nations, every tongue and tribe and nation. The Son of Man is glorified. Didn't seem like that though, did it? Because Jesus was going to go to the cross. But think of this. Every seed that's sown in the ground to, uh, to produce a harvest is a prediction that the life giver must first die. Every seed must fall into the ground and die, decompose, and it looks like it's the end of it, but then comes forth the life. Every seed, you think about that, every time you see a seed, whatever kind of seed it is, a plant, fruit, vegetable, or, or a tree, or whatever kind of seed, it has to first die before it can come to life. And it's a, it's a prediction of that's what Jesus did. He gave his life that we might be born again. Amen. Now that seed principle is true of us. Now we need to look at this because some people get this wrong. You know, they, you hear this teaching often, you know, we need to die to self, die to self. And, and so it becomes a work thing, like a, a, a real uh, spiritual work that we have to do. We've, every day we've got to die to self, die to self. That's not what Jesus is saying. Let's go back and have a look at that, can we? It says there, uh, most assuredly I say to you, can you see that halfway through? Where are we? Let's get it there so we can just look at this together. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a ground of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He's talking about himself first there, right? But then he says, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, you know, some people say, well, does God want us to hate ourselves then? Think of what he's saying, friends. He's saying, if you hate, sorry, if you love 
yourself, your self-righteousness, if you, if you think that you have got something that you can offer to God to commend yourself to God so that he will love you because of who you are, then you've got it wrong. But if we hate our self-righteousness, amen, we hate our self right? Like Paul says, you know, those things that once I boasted in and gloried in, those things I count them as dung. I hate them now. I hate the fact that I saw my righteousness in those things. Amen? Now, if we hate our life, we will keep it for eternal life. We're going to see that that's what Jesus meant in just a moment. Let's just continue where we left off there. Uh, the seed principle is also true of us. There is nothing in self that we can offer to God. We must die through our union with Christ. That's what had to happen, and we did that. When we believed in Jesus, we were baptised into him. His death became our death. It's finished. We are now a new creation. Our life is joined to him. All our righteousness is in him. All our fruit is from him. Even our repentance will not save us. It is Christ alone who can save and we are to be finished with ourselves and see that Christ is now our life. So it's interesting, when, when you look at this uh, uh, verse again, the first use of life there, where Jesus says, he that loves his life, is the word suki, from which we get the word psyche, it means soul, okay? So he that loves himself, in that sense, God, I really am good, you know, just uh, I offer myself to you and I, I know that you're like me and uh, uh, accept me because who I am. No! We hate that life, but then we receive this Zoe life, this eternal life from God, this life of Christ that comes to live in us and, and, and becomes our very life. Amen. Zoe means a life as possessed by the one who gave it. The life as possessed by the one who gave it. So we have his life now. And, uh, you know, Paul said this, I... I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's all about Jesus now. Amen? Amen, said three of you. Okay, <laughs> moving on. I'll still keep uh, drilling and digging and see if we can get some. Now my soul is troubled, Jesus said, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, would draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Uh, I think we touched upon this last week. Jesus said, now is my soul troubled. It actually means thrown into confusion. See, we see here the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was facing the cross and just realizing the awfulness of what he was about to undergo. Really, is this going to happen? Crucifixion, you know, as we just heard in communion, Jesus, the Son of God, becoming a curse on the cross. 
the sin of the world being laid upon him? Is this what's going to happen? He was thrown into confusion. And, and we see that he went through that in Gethsemane, this real literal confusion. He wasn't play acting. This was, he was wrestling here with this whole thing. Father, if there's some other way, if there's some other way for, for this to take place without me going to the cross, then, then let it be. Otherwise, let your will be done. Nevertheless, let your will be done. Maybe, maybe you know, he even thought about Abraham. You remember Abraham who offered up Isaac and he went and, and, he, and he laid him on the altar. He's about to plunge the knife into him and then that voice came. Abraham, Abraham, he had to call twice. And God stopped him. And maybe, you know, we see that he was just looking at his willingness and his obedience. And, and, and you know, is God doing the same, the Father doing the same to Jesus? Maybe he thought that. Because the whole thing seemed irrational. So he wondered if he should really pray for the cup to be taken from him. And my soul is troubled. I'm confused about this. Do I, am I really going to go through this? But then he reasoned that this is why he came into the world. He lived to obey and glorify his Father. You know, there's a verse from the Psalms that um, uh, is quoted in, in, in connection with Jesus being the fulfillment of that verse. And, and, and it says this, that... Um, sacrifices and offerings God didn't really desire. He was never interested in, you know, animals being offered up all the time. But a body you have prepared for me. All, all that God has ever wanted from a human being is obedience. And, and Jesus gave himself to obey God. He, he said, my body exists for no other purpose than to obey God. And, and, and to glorify him, to, to, to bring glory to him in all that I do. So he was not interested in what people thought about him and his reputation, all those things. That meant nothing to him. He just wanted to glorify God. So the matter was resolved. He said, that's why I came. That's why I came. Should I say, Father, deliver me? No, that's why I came. So I'm going through with it. You know, in this way, many of our conflicts can be resolved too. When you look and you consider at the purpose of our lives, we live for the glory of God. We were created for the glory of God. Amen. And to obey him and to, to, to do his will, not our will. Sometimes we're in conflict about choices we have to make. Sometimes we're persecuted and, you know, it seems like it's a very unpopular thing to be a Christian. But then we stand up and say, you know, that's, that's what it's about. I, my life belongs to him. I've been bought with a price. And I, my, my purpose now is to glorify God. When we can resolve those things in our heart, then it makes life so much easier and even joyful. Now, this voice that came from heaven, incredible thing when you think about it, an audible voice as they were all standing there. Jesus prayed, Father, glorify your name. God said, I have glorified it. Because all through the life of Jesus, the Father was being glorified. But he said, and I will glorify it. And then, as we've just read, they, some people thought it was thunder. Others heard the voice. They thought it was an angel. But it was God, the Father, that spoke to him. Now, three times, the Father spoke audibly to Jesus. That's recorded in the Word. Once, at the beginning of his ministry, 
Do you remember when he was baptized? He, 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 in, in, yeah, at the River Jordan, as he was being baptized. Then, then was it the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, every time that we hear the audible voice, it's in connection with Jesus going to the cross. Amazing. In connection with Jesus, because when he was baptized, he was enacting what would happen at the cross. He would, he would be immersed in the waters of judgment. God's judgment would pass over him and he would receive it in full measure. Then he would be raised from the dead, come up out of the water, the first fruits of the new creation. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The second time, you remember, was in the Mount of Transfiguration, about the middle of his ministry. When, when, when there was um, Elijah and Moses, and, 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 and they both appeared, can you imagine that? Moses and Elijah appeared, and they were talking to Jesus and the disciples, all this, and they were shocked. Of course, Peter you know, thought, we better say something. And so he said, Lord, do you want us to build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah? And, Jesus, and then God spoke, this is my beloved son. Peter probably said, which one? The shiny one. The one that's, you know, a glowing, transfigured one. You know, this is my beloved son. Hear him. But when you read the scriptures in that passage, I think it's in Luke, they were talking about what? His decease. That's what it says. They were talking, they were discussing with him about his death. And then the father said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And now, thirdly, right at the end of his ministry, this is the last week of Jesus' life, heaven opens again and we hear the voice. I have glorified you and my name, I will glorify it again. And, and so what does that tell To me, it's like three times God spoke audibly and it was all about the death of cross. It was all about the cross. Amen? The finished work of Christ. And that says to me, this is so important in heaven. This is so important for us. That's why Paul says, I'm determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's our message, friends. That's our message. Amen? Be careful we do not get sidetracked and go off into, you know, uh, issues. The church is talking about a lot of issues and, and those sort of things. Keep the focus on Jesus, the finished work of the cross, because that means so much to the Father. That's the theme of heaven. They're all surrounding the throne and saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Amen. And we will be there throughout eternity, saying unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own precious blood, unto him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So Jesus said the time for the judgment of the world had come. Did you read that? The judgment of the world has already taken place. The judgment for all your sin. All my sin. When the devil you know, tries to convict you of sin and to make you feel condemned, you remind him that judgment for that has already taken place 2,000 years ago. Jesus bore it all. It's finished. It's a done deal. Amen. 
Everyone's sin will be judged on the cross. Now, Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. We could define this word world in the sense that Jesus spoke of the cosmos or the culture in opposition to Jesus. I like to look at this in, in three words. First of all, look at the word earth. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. He created this planet without sin. Amen. And then as Adam chose to listen to the, the devil, Satan, it became a fallen planet and it was called the world, the cosmos. And, and, and Satan is the prince of this world. He's the ruler of this world. He's the God of this world. All those terms are used. So this world is, is a system that he has orchestrated and, and it has a purpose. It's to draw us away from God. You know? Now, now let, let me just be very clear about this. There are many things in life which, which are legitimate pleasures. You know, you, you can think of music, you can think of art, you can think of... Um, business, you can think of finance, you can think of fashion, all these things, there's nothing wrong in them of themselves. In fact, the Bible says God has given us all things wonderfully for us to enjoy in this life. Amen? Amen? This, this world is, is, is given to us to enjoy. But the problem is that, that there could be something in those things that can draw us away from God. So Satan would use those things to draw us away from God. What, what, what may be, um, you know, what may get you might not have any interest for me. But what may get me, you're not interested in. But each one of us has something and he knows the bait and he can use that. But, but this is what Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Because this culture that I'm talking about has a leader and that's Satan. And he was going to be cast out. When Jesus went to the cross, he would be triumphed over so that, so that we can say, I am crucified to the world and the world unto me. It has got no power over me. We can walk in victory over the world. We can enjoy all these beautiful things that God has given to us in this life without being drawn away from God. Amen? Amen. So the cross would be the crushing of Satan's head. Satan had been motivated by self-will from the beginning. I will ascend, I will take the throne, and so on. And this brought death and destruction to all. Jesus was motivated by his Father's will, and this brought life to all. In this way, the prince of this world was cast out. Hallelujah. He is a defeated foe. We don't have to do spiritual warfare, friends. That kind of, you know, that's shouting at Satan and binding this and binding that. It's all been done at the cross. We have the victory over Satan. We just walk in that victory by faith. Amen? Amen. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. See, Jesus said that he would be lifted up on the cross. They understood what he was saying. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ, the Messiah, remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. 
while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So have a look at that. See, what they were saying there is they, they knew several passages that predicted when the Messiah comes, he will live and he will reign forever. Here's just a couple that we probably are fairly familiar with. Isaiah chapter 9, you know, it says, uh, his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the, the Prince of Peace, and so on. And there it goes on to say, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judge, judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. See, so they knew that when Messiah comes, he will reign forever. And then in Daniel, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is what? An everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So they knew these scriptures. So they drew the conclusion that the Messiah cannot die. You know, Jesus is talking about dying, going to the cross. That's not the Messiah. But they did not understand the two advents of Christ. When we look at prophecy, and it, it's always forward-looking about the coming of Jesus, one relates to his first coming. I believe there were about 300 scriptures, and every one of them was fulfilled in the first advent of Jesus. But there were many that relate to the second. The first, he was coming to be the Lamb of God who would lay down his life for the world, amen? But the second, he's coming as king. They were mostly unaware of the passages that spoke of his suffering. Jesus told them that the light and the opportunity it brings will not always be there for them. This is why I'm saying this is a critical time in, in, in the ministry of Jesus now. The hour has come. Uh, he urges them to put their trust in him now. Then they will become children of light. You know, one of the things I like about Jesus is that often he was asked questions, but he didn't answer them directly. You know, he did, you don't have to answer every question, by the way. You know, when critics question you or, or, or unbelievers question you, you're not obligated to answer their questions. You're obligated to tell them their situation, <laughs> that they're lost and they need Jesus. Amen? So, you know, they, they said, um, when, when the Son of Man comes, uh, this will happen and uh, he will live forever. And the Son of Man, this... Jesus didn't even mention the Son of Man. He didn't mention the Son of Man. If you go back and look at that scripture. But what he does, he turns it around and says, listen, it's all about sun. If, if you remain in darkness, you'll be a son of darkness. This is your opportunity to become children of light. Come out of darkness by believing in Jesus and become the children of light. I think, was it the glowworms for Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, I think that, that name might stick, I think. Then again. Um, anyway, after this, he was hidden from them. The light had been withdrawn. Jesus through, as we've seen, we've been doing this for 32 weeks now, John. Jesus through many discourses, much teaching and signs had been revealed to the people, but they rejected him. And John prepared us for that at the beginning of the gospel. He said he came unto his own and what? His own received him not, by and large. 
But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Often I'm asked about that kind of thing, you know, how can, how can God blame people when he's hardened their hearts so that they cannot believe? Look at it very carefully. First of all, we read that they did not believe. Okay, he'd done many signs, revealed himself very clearly through, I mean, raising Lazarus from the dead. Yes. You know, healing someone that was lame from birth and all these things, blind from birth. Many signs they did not believe. Then he goes on to say, therefore they could not believe. See, God then gave them over to their own choice. He gave them over to a heart that was hardened. Now, um, this is his final appeal to them before the cross. At the end of this chapter, Jesus does not speak to the crowds anymore. All the other chapters are what he says to, to the disciples. Okay? So it's very, that's why I say it's a critical time in, in, in the ministry of Jesus. Those who willfully harden themselves will be hardened. People talk about Pharaoh because it says in verse 9, Exodus chapter 9, verse 12, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not heed them just as the Lord has spoken. So people have said to me, see, God hardened his heart. How can you blame Pharaoh? But look at what it says before. Read before in chapter 8 and verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. This time also, neither would he let them, the people go. This time also, several times he hardened his heart, even though Moses was sent with signs uh, to, to convince him that God was in this. He, he deliberately hardened his heart, and then in the end, God hardened his heart. And, and this is where the people are at now. It's very sad because it's coming to the end where, where, where Jesus will weep over Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I wanted to gather you, but you would not. But now, as he says, the hour has come and the gospel will be given to the world now. Amen. Okay, so we move on. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now, were these believers... Secret, we call them secret disciples. We'll look at that term in a moment. They were believers. It says there, they believed in him. That's what, all the way through, we've been seeing that to receive eternal life, you need to believe in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So they were believers. Okay. Jesus had his secret followers, even amongst the leaders. They were secret believers not secret disciples. There's a difference, we looked at this, I think when we were in chapter eight, a difference between a believer and a disciple. Amen? To believe, you need to put your trust in Jesus for your salvation, rest in him. And if you believe, you will be saved. Jesus then said, um, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But before that, he said, if you abide in my word, 
then you will be my disciples indeed. You see? That's how we become disciples, by, by wanting to abide in his word. So, if I can quote William Barclay here, secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms. It never works. You can't be a disciple and be secret about it. You can be a believer and be secret. William Barclay said, either the discipleship kills the secret, because <laughs> you're abiding in his word, you're going to obey him. And he said, let your light shine, amen. Or the secrecy kills the discipleship. So, these were believers who were secret believers, and Nicodemus was one of those. Later on, he, uh, what we say, came out, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Okay, Jesus had just explained that if anyone served him, they would receive honour from God. We read that in verse 26. Yet there were many who loved the honour that comes from other men more than the praise that comes from God. Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? Because every day, sometimes we have to make that decision. Are we, are we going to be, um, love the honour that comes from men? Look good in their eyes? Be popular? Or are we going to prize the, the honour that comes from God? Amen. Then Jesus cried out, the last passage, and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's the gospel. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. So let's just finish here. Jesus here gives us a resume of Christ's public ministry mentioning his miracles and his teaching. Okay, because now his public ministry has come to an end. It's now his ministry to his disciples. Jesus did not come to judge the world, but to receive its judgment, to save the world by taking its judgment. So judgment is now based on belief or unbelief in Jesus. You say, well, is the world forgiven or isn't the world forgiven? Jesus has paid for the forgiveness of the world. That forgiveness is found in Christ, not remaining in Adam. When we believe in Jesus, we are baptised into Christ. We, we die to our old position in Adam. That, that's, that's the creation that's under the judgement of God because it remains in its sins. Jesus said, if you do not believe in me, you, you will die in your sins. It's an awful thing to do. But by just believing in Jesus, believing and putting your trust in him as your saviour, you are baptised into Christ. You are, in, you are in Christ and there is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. Preachers will try to condemn you. Religion will try to condemn you. But there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's, it's done. It is finished. Tetelestai. It is finished. Our judgment has taken place.
and, and there's nothing more to offer to God because he made one sacrifice once for all and he's perfected those who are being sanctified. Amen? So this is brings, uh, brings to a close Jesus' public teaching. In his final days, he ministers only to his disciples. We're, we're going to actually take a, a break uh, from John for a couple of weeks. There's another subject I want to share before we get into the second half. I think you've done well. Uh, 32 weeks of John, but it's good. I've enjoyed it. And um, uh, so we're going to look at a, the subject of uh, healing. I'm going to do a, just a two-part series called Wholeness, Health and Healing. Okay? Stay tuned, folks. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for this glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we thank you that we've seen again how much it means to heaven. It's the central theme and will be through the eternal ages, the lamb that was slain for our salvation to redeem us to God, to give us righteousness and eternal life. And Father, I pray that you'll keep us faithful to the gospel that uh, we would say with Paul, I'm determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him glorified. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let that be our theme. Let that be our message, we pray, and may many come to know Jesus through our proclamation of the true gospel. In his wonderful name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Amen.